0: Amen, church. So good to see your faces here today. What a great 10th anniversary celebration we had last week. Amen? Thank you so much, all of you, for making, uh, being a part of that and helping us celebrate not what people have done, but what God has done in our midst for 10 years in the life of our church. Hey, I wanna let you know right now, uh, at the end of our service, we're gonna be taking the Lord's Supper together. So you may have seen it or you may have not, these little uh, communion elements that we've got here available to you to your right. If you did not pick that up on your way in, Go ahead right now. Don't feel embarrassed. You can stand up, you know, grab some of that right now for yourself or for a family member. Uh, please help yourself. Also, there are Bibles. If you did not bring a Bible with you today and you'd like to follow along in the Holy Scriptures with us today, uh, we're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It's on page 289 and the Bibles there provided for you as well. We want to make sure that you can see the Scriptures with your own eyes as well. So. Last week, we had a fantastic time celebrating what God has done in the life of our church. And, and I love uh, uh, our chairman of the elders, Matt Rumbaugh. He's just a guy, but he's a special guy to us, right? He says, I don't want to just look back. I want to say, what does God have for us in the future? And so we're taking, we're taking some of those first steps here together as a church. Our theme for this year is that we want to understand what does it mean to live Sent. We, begin, we end each uh, Sunday service with a commission to you, if you've heard it before. We want to love Christ and live sent. Church isn't over when we close the service here today. We're called to go be the church. But we want to ask ourselves, what does it mean to live sent? What does it mean to live sent? And we're going to begin a series uh, this morning. We're going to take a break in the book of Acts. We're going to begin a series this morning called Living Sent, How the Good News Gets Out. We've got good news in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in order for that news to get out, we have to be living sent. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next next six weeks. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. But first, I want to ask ourselves just some basic questions. What is our mission? What is the mission at Fairfax Bible Church. And and if you've seen it, heard it before, it's right on our, our website. We want to be reminded of it. We want to talk about it. We want to have it encoded in our memory so that we can be committed to the mission. And the mission of Fairfax Bible Church is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. Our purpose is to glorify God through the means of making disciples, learners, followers of Jesus Christ of all nations, of all peoples here in Fairfax and beyond as we live in loving community. And that's why we emphasize small groups so much here as a church because we think that one of the vehicles that we we use to achieve that mission of making disciples to the glory of God is as we live in loving community and we get to experience it. I'm so excited. If you've not joined a small group, do it. Do it. Reach out to us. Go to our website, Next Steps. You can join a small group uh, this week if you'd like to. But uh, that's, that's kind of vague in, in some ways. It's nice to say that, you know, that's our mission statement. But how do we achieve that? How do we achieve that mission? And so we've actually got six pursuits. Uh, these are our pursuits, uh, ways that we uh, seek to achieve the mission that we just described. And, and we're going to be taking a look at each of these pursuits this week. But we want to look at these pursuits, because if you've been at Fairfax Bible for, for a, a while, you've probably heard these pursuits before. But we want to look at these pursuits through the lens of living scent. How do these pursuits help us achieve the mission of living sin to going making disciples. And so we've got the, uh, we've got the pursuits here. And, and, and what I'm excited about is you're going to hear not just from me, but you're going to hear from some of the other leaders here at Fairfax Bible Church. And they're going to come and share the scriptures with you and talk about how does this pursuit relate to living sin. And so we've got them here, courageous evangelism. And the way we define that is that we will invade the darkness of a lost world by proclaiming, Uh, The truth about Jesus and demonstrating his compassion locally and globally. Now, I'm going to kick us off with that this morning. We're going to be looking at courageous evangelism. We're not going to stop there. We're also going to look at fervent prayer, meaning we will seek the Lord, his will, and his way with hearts humble before him and confident. In His plans, fervent prayer. Pastor Hang, too, our worship pastor, is going to be sharing Scripture with us next week, and then we're going to be looking at purposeful disciple making, meaning we will unreservedly give ourselves to the multiplication and maturation of Jesus followers in the pursuit of Christ likeness together. And our brother J.T. Gill is going to be delivering that message, and we're going to look at passionate worship. We will join our voices and lives with worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and people to exalt Jesus Christ, responding to his matchless name. And one of our elders, Will Johnson, is gonna share the scriptures that Sunday on passionate worship. And we're gonna look at bold preaching. We'll fearlessly proclaim the truth about God and his gospel by preaching the scriptures in context with a dependence on the Holy Spirit to bring eternal life change. And our brother, Dave Kelly, is gonna deliver that message. And then finally, the sixth one, last but not least, strategic church planning. We wanna plant churches Irresistible communities committed to the worship of God, the making of disciples, and the sending of multipliers into a world that needs Christ. And I think nobody better than Matt Rumbaugh is going to deliver that message because he loves multiplication, multiplying, seeing disciples who make disciples. And one of the ways we want to do that is be a church that's strategically planting other churches locally and globally. We want to be a part of that mission around the world. So we're going to take a look at these six pursuits over the next six weeks Uh, through the lens of living scent, how the good news gets out. So let's take a look at the first one here today, courageous evangelism. Now, I may have just said that word evangelism, and you may have just tuned me out because evangelism may be the most terrifying word to you that you've ever heard in your life. What do we mean by evangelism? It means speaking the, the evangel, the gospel message to people who have not received it so that they could see the glory of God in Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior. It's really declaring, as Isaiah said, how beautiful are the feet of those who evangelize, who bring good news. And what's that good news? It's that God is delivering his peace in this message. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. And so to, to do evangelism means to go out and declare that message to people who maybe have never heard it or maybe have heard it before but need to receive that message that brings life and brings hope. But goodness, friends, we've got an adjective in front of that noun evangelism, courageous evangelism. Because to go into spaces in our world and in our day and age, it takes a lot of courage to speak up and proclaim the good news. Years ago, First couple of centuries of the church, I think around 197 AD, there was a church father named Tertullian. Tertullian said this uh, in his Apologeticus. He was writing a document in, in defense of Christianity. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You see, early in church history, there was was an attempt to extinguish the church of Jesus Christ, to extinguish Christianity, and they thought if we could just kill all the Christians, we'll get rid of Christianity. And Tertullian says, no, what we found is that the more you try and kill us and imprison us, that the good news, God, through his supernatural power, gets the good news out, and more and more people come to faith. And so what happens is that as as people are, are killed because of their commitment to Jesus, as a Lord and a Savior, it actually has the opposite effect. It gets the good news of Jesus Christ. But what about today? Is that true today? You know, we don't live in a culture and in a society that so far is threatening to imprison us or even to kill us because of our faith. And now when I say today, I don't mean today globally. I mean today locally, right here, right now in our community, I mean, in fact, right now, we're, we're worshiping in a public school, praise be to God, right, that he's provided this facility to us, and under no threat, we're, we're here right now, freely getting to worship God. So, so what about us? I mean, does that mean that the, the mission is kind of achieved, that it's, that it's over? No, our, our challenge in our culture and society today, where we live, is a little bit different than Tertullian's day. We aren't tempted as much toward cowardice in the face of temptation, uh, of persecution or, or martyrdom you know, it's not an either or situation anymore where it's like follow Jesus and live or reject Jesus, uh, or, or, or excuse me, follow Jesus and, and, and live, uh, follow Jesus or, and be martyred and imprisoned or reject him and you can live. I mean, that was, that was the choice in Tertullian's day. If you reject Jesus and declare Caesar as Lord and you want to bow down to the gods of the nations, you actually live, but if you confess that, that Jesus, this this Uh, Jewish Messiah of Palestine, if you confess that he's Lord, it could cause you imprisonment and perhaps even death. That's not our challenge today. See, I believe the challenge of our day is not so much how do we face persecution, how do we face suffering, but how do we face a culture that's just kind of neutral about Jesus? Jesus. You see, our, our culture and our society is really defined by a term, and I'll try and define it for you. It's, it's, it's a much bigger term than just a simple definition, secularism. It's this spirit or tendency, especially uh, within this system of political and social philosophy that rejects all forms of religious faith and worship. Look, in the public arena, in the public square, keep Jesus to yourself. It's the view that public education, other matters of civil policy should be conducted without the introduction of a religious element. Keep Jesus out of it. See, what we've done, I think, in our society, and there's, there's good to ha- it's good to have tolerance, but what we've done is what we've said is like, your religious commitments... Your faith commitment is very personal to you. And I say amen to that. Everyone, no one should be forced to bow to Jesus in this life. One day, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord, but we're not here to say, hey, turn to Jesus or die. No, we're not here for that at all. We believe that every person should have a personal choice about who they should worship. But what secularism says is that not only is your commitment to Jesus personal, it should be private. Your commitment to Jesus is not just personal, it should be private. That's our challenge. You see, we can have passion in the public square, it's, it's permissible to be passionate about all kinds of causes, but our highest virtue is a secular attitude that leaves the authority of Jesus and his gospel away from our conversations. It's go ahead, be passionate about your cause, but don't advocate for the exclusivity of Jesus as Lord. And in our passionate conversations about race and gender and sexuality and human rights and equality, the virtue of our day is to remain neutral about Jesus. And this more than cools our evangelism, friends. We're tempted to feel that we have to be neutral in the way we engage our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends and our relatives, our, our, our friends and our relatives. And there's another term, relativism, and it's the the cousin of secularism. It's, it says that your beliefs exist only in relation to your own upbringing and your own circumstances, meaning, well, you believe in Jesus, that's fine for you because that's the upbringing that you had. That's the perspective that you come from. There's really no absolute truth for everyone. There's, there's really no independent truth that applies to all of us. You just stay in your corner. Your, your, your faith in Jesus is not only personal, but it should just remain private because I have my own private and personal beliefs as well. Therefore, as a Christian, and you can believe in Jesus, but you must remain neutral about him toward those that you come across and in the public arena. And regardless of how much we invest in our current social issues of the day, if we remain neutral on Jesus, then we can enter into the public square and into these conversations. But as we do that, friends, we become ineffective and we become just as malleable and just as formable as the next person. Our, our values and our, our stances that we take, they're no more significant than anyone else's. And I'm not here because, uh, I'm not speaking about all this because I think that we should necessarily take a lot, up a lot more political causes. What I'm saying is that we must not give in to the temptation to be neutral about Jesus. Your faith in Jesus absolutely is very personal, but friends, because our pursuit is courageous evangelism, we cannot be private about our faith in Jesus, and this is our big idea this morning. Christians can't be neutral with the gospel, the good news about Jesus, because God wasn't neutral with us. Christians can't be neutral with the gospel because God wasn't neutral with us. Where do we find that? Where's that in scripture? I'm gonna ask you, hopefully you've already turned there, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses nine through 12. Christians can't be neutral with the gospel because God wasn't neutral with us. Lord, Father, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. 1 Peter chapter 2, follow along as I read aloud, verses nine through 12. It says this, but you... Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is our scripture this morning. Now, Peter is writing to a group of people in, in chapter one, verse one of this book, he calls them elect Exiles, really the word there could be translated something like resident aliens. Hey, you're followers of Jesus, and guess what? You're living as elect exiles, chosen people living as resident aliens in a land. Now, some of these people are like, what are you talking about, Peter? What what do you mean by that? I, I grew up in this town. I'm from this land. I've got, you know, I've got the the blood of the the ethnic group that that I'm I'm, I'm called to here in in, in likely Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, right? This is my hometown. I grew up here. How can you call me an exile as a resident alien? Well, Peter is saying, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been transferred into a whole new realm, the realm of Jesus Christ and, and God the Father. And he says, not only that, but you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus You've been given a new birth in your life through the Holy Spirit. And he says in in verse 8, he says, Though you don't see Jesus now, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Your joy is not rooted in this world. Your joy is rooted in the next. And you may be receiving persecution. You may feel like you're going against the grain living in this culture. But your joy rests in a kingdom that is to come. And so Peter says in in chapter 1 verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Be ready to live as resident aliens in a foreign land because you've been given new birth from God. You've come to him who's Jesus through faith and through belief in him. And therefore, honor, you're, the honor is for you, but there are some who don't believe. And, and we see actually in, in verse seven of chapter two, if you've got your Bibles open, you could just raise your eyes up a little bit. It says, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You see, there are those in, that, that hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus, but they don't see Jesus as a source of hope and a source of life. They stumble over Jesus, They stumble over the fact that he's truly God and truly man. They stumble over the fact that he he was sinless and died on a cross for the sins of sinners and rose victoriously from the grave. And there are those that reject it. But for those who believe, for you who have come to him, the honor is for you. You are elect exiles, you're resident aliens living in a foreign land, belonging to another kingdom. And therefore, he gets into verse 9. And what we're gonna see here this morning that Christians can't be neutral with the gospel because God wasn't neutral with us. And we're just gonna see two things from this passage. First of all, we were saved to speak. We were saved to open our mouths. And secondly, we design to display. We design our lives to display, not ourselves, but someone else. Briefly, let's take a look at this together. Verse nine again, it says, you are a chosen race. A chosen race. Now, that may seem controversial to you in our day and age, right? Why would we want to have any privileged or, or, or beneficial race over any other race, right? And certainly, if that was true of us today, if we elevated one physical race, one ethnic group over another, we would be in conflict with the gospel. But Peter says, you are a chosen race race. Why? Not because of the color of your skin, not because of your cultural background, not because of your language, but because you've got the DNA of God flowing through your veins. You've been born from above. Friends, I love it when I look across this room and I see so many of us that look so differently, come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different nations. We're here together and we say we are a chosen race. Why? Because we belong to God's family through Jesus Christ and through his shed blood. But Peter says, not only are you a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood. You have actually are a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Well, they represent God to people. That's, that's what priests do. We don't have priests here today. Why? Because we have one high priest, who's Jesus. But collectively, as a group, we're called to live as resident aliens, living in a foreign land, belonging to another kingdom, representing the King who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're a priesthood. We're called to mirror mirror the image and glory of God to the world. He goes on to say that you're a holy nation. You're a people set apart for God's kingdom. You see, our our king isn't a president. Our our king isn't a prime minister. Our king isn't a real physical king. Our king is a king who is physical, but in heaven, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ, he is our king, and he's given us his laws and commands. You know, if you've been watching the news lately, you've probably been seeing all kinds of news centered on the passing of Queen Elizabeth in Britain. And it's been amazing to see just how it's been unifying the British people. And I I like to watch Premier League English soccer and just to even see moments of respect and honor to the passing of the queen. And you could see this this unification that these people are, are feeling, a sense of a loyalty to the crown and to their country, but yet they mourn. They mourn a monarch who's passed away. Friends, we've been brought into a nation. We've been brought into a kingdom and we should feel the same sort of pride and, and loyalty and allegiance to this crown. But here's the good news. We don't mourn a dead monarch. We adore and praise a risen and living king of kings and Lord of lords who doesn't just reign over an island and some other islands in a commonwealth. We, we, we give our allegiance to the reigning and living king of all creation, Jesus Christ. You, your identity is that you are a chosen race through the DNA of our Messiah. You are a royal priesthood called to mirror, image God to a watching world, and you're a holy nation, a people set apart for for God's kingdom. These are the words Peter is using here that go all the way back to Exodus, when God spoke of his people Israel. Exodus 19, 3 through 6 says that while Moses went up to God, the the Lord called to him out of the mountain and said, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God had set them free from slavery in Egypt. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter's just borrowing the same language because what he sees here is that what used to belong only to the Jews has now been opened up to anybody who would come to God through Jesus Christ. It's our identity today, friends. If you are in Christ, if you put Your faith in him and given him your allegiance to him alone, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's treasured possession. Think about that for a moment. All the things God could treasure in this world, in his creation, he treasures you and he treasures me. That's our identity. The nation of Israel was meant to reflect the kingdom of, of God's goodness to the world. They were, to, they were delivered. They were rescued. They were saved. Why? For what purpose? To speak. They were saved to speak. They were saved to go and say, we know the true God of all creation, and he's delivered us from Egypt, and he could deliver you from your sin and slavery, but they failed in that mission. And so we got to ask ourselves, what's, what's the basis then for you and me to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood? a holy nation, a treasured possession by God. What's the basis of that? Is it because we've got something better? Is it because we've done something better? Oh, no, friends. Verse 10 is very clear. Again, chapter two of 1 Peter, uh, verse 10 says this, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. When you were born, you were not a people. You weren't in God's family. Now, this is, this is very true. that You don't get born into the kingdom of God. You become a part of God's kingdom through faith on the basis of what? Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. Friends, the reason why we get to be such privileged people is not because of anything that you've done, not that anything I've done. It's not because of the the number of zeros that are in your bank account. It's not because of any privilege that you could ever earn or inherit. It's solely because God has been so gracious and merciful to you and to me. That is the basis of being brought into this family. It's God's choosing. It's God's mercy. How does someone get in? Well, the gospel of secularism that would want to separate our, our, our beliefs from the public sphere would say this. Gospel of secularism holds to the belief that man is the determiner of his own fate. Through hard work, we could strive to make ourselves better. Therefore, we find our purpose and our worth and our value in us and how much we can achieve. The message of secularism is you must do in order to be. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it declares to us that God has placed value on every person because he created them. And though we've all gone astray, his mercy has reached down to all of humanity through his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from sin and death. And so our message, our message we declare is this, don't do to become, but we become because it has been done on the cross of Jesus Christ and he's risen from the dead. Oh, it's the, the mercy of God, the mercy of God. We have been saved to speak you've been given a new identity because of God's mercy for a purpose to speak verse 9 again of first Peter 2 you're you're a holy nation you're a people for God's possession for what purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light We're we're saved for this purpose. It's not to go to heaven, friends. That's a benefit that we get. We get to be having all of our sins forgiven. We get to have all of our shame removed. All the fear is gone, but God's purpose in saving you and me, God's purpose in sending his son, Jesus Christ, was so that he could bring you into his family so that you could give him praise, to proclaim his excellencies. Friends, we were saved to speak. When we keep our mouths shut about this good news of the gospel, it's defying the very purpose for which God has brought us in. We were saved to speak, to declare, to praise, to honor, to lift up. Whose name? Our names? No, His name. His excellencies, his deeds, his marvelous works that he's done for us. You know, the people of Israel, they rehearsed all the time the marvelous deeds that God did on their behalf, sending these plagues upon the most powerful kingdom on the planet, Egypt, to set them free from slavery. And then he parted the Red Sea for them, and they would sing about it, and they would talk about it, and they were instructed to pass that story on to their children. And in a greater, deeper way, friends, we've been saved from a greater Egypt A greater sea has been parted for us, and we've been given a greater good news that not only have we been set free from the kingdoms of this world, but we've been set free from the sin that has captured our hearts through Jesus Christ. We're saved to speak and proclaim the excellencies of what God has done, of him who called us out of darkness. The realm of darkness is the realm of this world into which we were all born. It wasn't God's original design but it's our doing through our own sin and rebellion. But he's called us into his marvelous light. We've been saved to speak Ephesians 1 11 through 12 says this in him we've that's God the Father we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will he's doing a work to bring us into his kingdom for what purpose so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory That's why we exist, is to speak, is to praise, is to say, I've been saved, I've been set apart, I've been given divine mercy from God that I could never earn, so that I could Tell people about him so that I could give him praise in song. Friends, I hope when you come here on Sunday mornings, you come ready to sing with all your heart. It's not to put on a show for anybody else, but it's because you recognize I've been put into a new realm, into the realm of Jesus, and I've received so much mercy to take me out of the realm of darkness, to be put into the realm of light. How could I keep my mouth shut? We were saved to speak Peter goes on to say later on in in the book we're looking at this morning, 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor him as holy in your heart, but then it comes out, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Friends, we were saved to speak the conversations that you have with family members, the conversations that you have with loved ones, coworkers, students, friends, you were saved to proclaim his excellencies. That's why you were saved. That's why we were brought into this family. When I want to ask you today, are you speaking? Are you speaking? Are you speaking good news? Remember, our big idea this morning is this, Christians can't be neutral with the gospel. We can't be neutral with this message. Why? Because God wasn't neutral with us. He reached down for you. He, he revealed his mercy to you. He gave his very best treasure in Jesus for you. He took you out of the realm of darkness and delight. How could we be silent about such good news? We were saved to speak. Will you speak up for his name? Will you not be neutral any longer to say, well, my God's good, your God's good, and it's all good. We can just coexist together for a time. Oh, no, I must speak. I must speak right now. You know, you're given a compliment. Hey, hey, thanks for, thanks for helping me out. I, I really appreciate it. You, you did a good deed for me. Well, you know, I just believe in kindness in this world. No, no, no. Take that moment, friend, to say, well, can I tell you why I did the good deed? It's not because I'm good. It's because I've been rescued by the one who's transferred me out of darkness into light. I proclaim his excellencies, the one who saved me and set me apart. Friends, take those moments, those, those little open doors, to ask permission, say, can I just share with you what has given me so much hope? And proclaim his excellency. Why? Because you were saved, not to keep it to yourself, but to speak, to be a kingdom, a priest, to represent our God to a watching world. You were saved to speak. Will you speak? Secondly, that we see from this this passage, we design to display. We design to display. Again, verse 11 of 1 Peter 2 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Not only were we saved to speak, but then we've been given a responsibility to design our lives to display his glory. We design to display. Again, Peter says, you're sojourners, you're exiles, you're resident aliens living in this world because we belong to another kingdom, to the kingdom of God. Every follower of Jesus is a missionary, friends. We're all sent ones. Why? Because we're being sent to a place that is not our home. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We, we represent the king in a foreign land. And he says this, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Friends, there is something in you and there is something in me that we cannot afford to be neutral about. And that's the passions of our flesh. Why? Because they're not neutral with you, Friends. Your desires that are in opposition to God's commands and his desires for you, anything that you desire outside of his design for your life, we call that sin because the Bible calls it sin, friends. And we must abstain from those passions. Why? Because they want to take you out. The sinful passions of your heart want to take you out. They want to nullify you. They want to sideline you. See, Satan doesn't have to come and and force all of us and threaten all of us with death and martyrdom. That would be very, very serious. You know how he could get to us just like he did uh, with with those two in the book of Acts that were giving up their riches and, and lying about it? Friends, it's a sinister, sinister thing, the sinful desires of our hearts oh, friends, it's waging war against your soul. We can't be neutral about these passions. You see, Satan wins when God's people are neutral about the mission and neutral about their morals. So we must not be neutral. We design our lives to display his glory. Our our, our lives, our bodies, our passions, our sexual desires, our money, our possessions, everything that we desire in this life, we submit it to the Lord Jesus and we say, I won't be neutral about this. I won't use this desire just to please myself. But, oh, Lord Jesus, I submit it to you. Show me how to please you and to glorify you with these desires. Don't be neutral about your desires, friends. Submit them to Jesus. Rather, our lives as we design them are to be characterized by good and honorable conduct and deeds and works that are done from love and purity and goodness toward each other. This is a way to live, I love the word, winsomely. Have you ever heard that word winsome? It's this attractiveness. It's this almost cuteness if you look at it in the Bible, but I don't think Christians are necessarily called to all be cute, right? Some of us don't have enough hair to be cute, right? But we're called to live in a way that's winsome, winsome this is attractive the way the way and it's not the it's not the makeup it's not our clothes it's not our cars it's not any of that it's the character of our lives that it's called to be attractive and winsome our lifestyles are meant to lead others to Jesus so we design we design our lives to display his glory we're called to live with great intention not neutrality We design our lives to display the majesty of our King, who is Jesus, our money, our time, our bodies. How we think about food, how we think about sex and entertainment, how we think about our work and our marriages and families, our interpersonal relationships, what we're willing to sacrifice, what we aren't willing to sacrifice. How we even vacation, how we view our retirements, we're called to design our lives to display his glory, all designed to put our king on glorious display. Je- Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. He said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. There's the analogy, and then he applies it. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your fathers in heaven. Do you see that there? How you live actually has an opportunity to change the hearts of those who are looking on. People that see you waging war against the, the sinful passions of your flesh, why are, you, why, why are you so resistant to just giving in? Everybody does it, right? No, because I belong to King Jesus and I want to be filled with good works. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's so attractive. Why would anyone want to live that way? It's because I belong to Jesus. And He's given everything to me. You shine as lights in this world. You design your lives to display his glory. That's what it means to live courageously evangelistic. The apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2:14 to 15: Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Not neutral, but blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Lights in the world. Christians can't be neutral with the gospel because God wasn't neutral with us. We were saved to speak. We design our lives to display his glory. Friends, I... I think really, if you want to put it in the simplest terms, we're we're called to live in a way that does gospel show and tell. How many of you remember in school show and tell? You remember show and tell? I remember show and tell. For some reason, this weird memory came to me this week when I was thinking about show and tell. I remember when I was a kid, my uncle, I think he was in the Boy Scouts, and he he had this Bible and he put like this rabbit fur on the Bible. I, I don't know why. It sounds as weird to me now saying it as it probably sounds to you hearing it. But he put this rabbit skin on this Bible, and I just thought it was so cool. I never read it. I just petted it. It was neat, right? <laughs> and uh, I was amazed by it. And, and so I brought it to show and tell, and I thought, oh, my friends are going to be so impressed with this. And they didn't care about that. They just wanted to pet it like me. And we never, I don't, I don't remember anybody asking, like, well, what? I mean, a rabbit had to die for that, right? right? It's kind of sick and weird. But I just remember, like, being so excited to show and tell, Right? And and you can remember the things that you brought to show and tell, to to show and tell people something that's precious and valuable to you. Friends, we love to talk about what means the most to us. And we've been saved to speak good news. We've been saved and, and we design our lives to display his glory. Your life is meant to be a session of gospel show and tell. You show up in, in, in your workplaces, you show up with your families, you show up in your neighborhoods and you say, I, I'm abstaining from the passions of the flesh. I'm here to do good deeds for you. And I'm gonna tell you why I'm doing it. It's not just because I just believe in some abstract kindness in this world. It's because I've been saved by the mercy of God through Jesus Christ and he's revealing it to you. Oh, come and receive his mercy today. We live lives and that's what we do. We, we, just, we just go out and we do good and we tell people why we do it. It's because we love Jesus. Friend, you are saved to speak and we're called to design our lives to display his glory. All of us at Fairfax Bible Church collectively and, and individually, we're called to do gospel show and tell. We've got a great opportunity this Saturday. Go beyond generosity feeds. And if you're, going to be a part, if you're going to be a part of that, anybody going to be a part of that? Praise God. I'm so excited to be a part of it. And when you show up, friends, give that wonderful food. Give it away. Do it. Do all of it. Be kind. Be generous. But, but find opportunities to proclaim His excellencies. We're not doing this just because we love our community. We're doing this because we love our community, because Jesus has shined His love into our lives and into our hearts Gospel show show and tell. To conclude here, we gotta wrap it up. What does this mean for Monday? What does this mean for Monday? Here's four ways, very briefly, four ways to live courageously rather than neutrally in this world. First of all, love Christ. I know that sounds like, well, yeah, duh, right? Love Christ. Spend time with him. You talk about what or whom you love the most. I love to talk about my wife, Laura. She's really awesome, if you've not met her. I love to talk about her because I love her so much. She's amazing. But you know what? There's no one better than Jesus. Well, We could talk about football. We could talk about all kinds of things. Can we talk about Jesus? I found, I'm an introvert, friends. You may not know that about me. I'm an introvert. I find it hard just to get into spaces and just start conversations with people. I've had to learn habits and tools to even start them in, in various spots. But, but, but one thing I've found is that I find it much easier to speak of Jesus when I've spent time in his presence. Loving Christ. Somehow it just, it just comes out of me. Why? Because I'm just loving him. I, I, I love reading his word. I love what he's, what he's done for my life. And I love to see what he's doing in the lives of those in, in, in my community. And I say, you know what? Jesus is so good. Jesus is wonderful. You know what? I felt discouraged this week, but, but I read a verse. Can I share it with you? You know, friends, spend time with Christ. Love him love Christ. Secondly, treasure people not things. Treasure people not things. Remember we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 that we are God's treasured possession. He treasures people. If we have a heart like him, we're going to treasure people and not things. That's who he loves, people. He sent his son to die for people, not things. Uh, We tend to treasure things and use people, but the gospel teaches us to use things and treasure people. Amen? Sometimes we get that backward. Treasure people, not things. I was just talking with Pastor Hang about this uh, over lunch this week. I said, Pastor Hank, you seem to be a guy who just loves people. You and Conaday and your family. He said, he said Matthew, he said, you know what? Uh, we found that, you know what, uh, m- my background and, and Conaday's background is that we, we didn't grow up with a lot of possessions. We didn't have a lot of homes, but we were given examples by our parents of bringing people into our homes. So even though we didn't have a lot of possessions, we felt rich. Why? Because we had people with us. And, and I learned at a young age to treasure people. Friends, what kind of legacy are we passing on to our kids? Do they see us as those who are treasuring things and using people or treasuring people and using things to point them to Jesus? Treasure people, not things. Thirdly, see with eyes of compassion, not condemnation. Compassion breeds courage, friends, There's no urgency to tell and show the gospel if we believe that there isn't a need. Friends, listen to me. We live in such a wonderful community. I am loving Fairfax. It's awesome. I love to eat here. I love to drink coffee here. I love to do all kinds of stuff here. But I'm telling you, the affluence here cannot blind us to the need that we have right here in Fairfax. Teslas and tennis courts cannot hide brokenness, friends. It's all around us, and we must resist the passions of our flesh that urge us to remain enclosed. In our safe and comfortable spaces. Invite people into your homes. Reach out to them with acts of kindness. Be there for people when you aren't needed and they'll come looking for you when you are needed. It all begins with a compassionate heart for the lost. It breeds courage. Friends, people are, are driving around and they're, they're living beautiful and wonderful lives. But without Jesus, the scripture teaches, without Jesus, people are going to hell. Without Jesus, people are going to hell. Oh, Lord Jesus, give us an urgency that stems from your compassion, from a world that's going to hell. Fourthly, be confident in the gospel. Be confident in the gospel. God's answers to all of life's biggest questions are answered in the gospel. I've talked to people and I felt it too. When I'm sharing my faith, man, they bring up questions I don't know how to answer. Friends, trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for salvation. You see, the great questions of life, of purpose, of meaning, of hope, happiness, guilt, and forgiveness, of identity, what a big question that is in our day and age, right? They're all answered through the gospel. Our culture cannot compare with the answers that the gospel gives. People need a Messiah. They need a deliverer. They need someone who can sympathize with their weaknesses. The gospel is a story that makes sense of our chaotic stories and finally to live courageously. Be confident in the gospel, that allows you to listen. Listen with open ears. And that's gonna be our prayer this morning in close. That we would have listening ears to the people that are hurting in our day and age. We're gonna take communion here as well, but I wanna ask you this. Uh, If Christians can't be neutral about the gospel because God wasn't neutral with us, I wanna ask, is there anybody in the room that's been neutral about Jesus today? Maybe you've been coming to church, maybe you've been around Christian community, but you've never truly committed your life to Jesus. Friends, I wanna tell you, God was not neutral about you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, out of love for you and out of mercy on your life to die for you and rise from the dead. And and those that are sitting next to you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, we're not neutral about Jesus. As a church, we won't be silent about him. We're gonna bring him up. We're gonna design our lives to display his glory because he's done so much for us and he's done so much for you if you you would just put your faith in